Take your Bibles tonight, please, and turn with me to the book of Philippians and go to chapter 3, Philippians in chapter 3. I trust tonight's message will be a help and a blessing to you. Out of respect for the Bible, would you stand for the reading of two verses of Scripture on Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth those things which are before, look at verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's all say verse 14 together. Here we go. Ready? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm speaking to you tonight on this simple topic, steps to spiritual success. Steps to spiritual success. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray together. We thank you for the Word of God, Lord Jesus, and for the God of the Word. We thank you that neither will pass away. All will outlive every human being that's ever lived on planet Earth, but we thank you they are life-changing for us. I pray tonight for anybody that may be in church but not in Christ. Would you help them to understand the difference between religion, what they have done for Jesus that did not count, and a relationship, what Jesus did for them that does count. If there's anybody in this house tonight who has religion and no relationship, may they trade it in and get into the family of God. And we'll give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's men said, success. You look up the words, you'll find it's used over five and a half million times in the dictionary and in the different books that are put out. What is success? Well, somebody says success is what you wear. If that's true, you'll have to X out John the Baptist. He wore a cloak of camel's hair and leather uh, breeches about his loins. So that won't work. Well, it has to be all that you do for God because he will count that. But the problem is all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Well, then it has to be Some of the money that you make, but in Acts chapter 3, the disciples being asked for a handout said, silver and gold, have I none? Did you find them as failures? Well, it has to be then some house. Well, if that's true, then you better tell Jesus he absolutely flunked because he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto you. And then he said, I have a home, but it's not on this earth. So what is it that people actually want but don't understand? It's called success. What is success? There's only one place in the entire 66 books of the Bible that tells you what success is. It's Joshua 1.8. It says, This book of the law, the word of God, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Here comes the word. And then thou shalt have good success. So I can tell you based on that one verse what success is. Success is finding the will of God. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you'll meditate therein day and night. That thou mayest observe to do. It's following the will of God for your life. Thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. It's finishing the will of God for your life. Success is finding, following, and finishing the will of God. And if there was anybody in the Bible that was a success, it had to be the Apostle Paul. 
When he comes to die, he says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept my faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto them also that love his appearing. Paul said, I did everything Jesus gave me to do from the day he saved me until this day and the day I walk out and they take my head from off my shoulders. And when I leave this planet, I'm going to the other side and my Savior and I are going to have a real good time for all eternity. And the question tonight is, have you ever met this Savior? In this passage of Scripture, he explains to us that if you want to have success in life, first of all, God must be in your life. If you look at the text, it says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God in Christ Jesus. In case somebody told you that Jesus Christ is not God, they just lied to you. Because your Bible is the final authority on everything, and it says God is Jesus Christ. Do you ever realize that you can't succeed without Jesus Christ in your life, number one? Because if you do, then you are absolutely overcoming your blindness. In John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Number two, you're overcoming your own deafness. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 18, having ears, they hear not. You may be getting words from me tonight. The question is whether or not you're getting a message. Number three, you can't succeed without Christ because you're ignorant. In Ephesians 4, 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of Christ through the ignorance that's in them. Number four, you can't succeed without Jesus Christ because you're living a hopeless lifestyle. We sorrow not as others that have no hope. Number five, you can't live for Jesus Christ unless he's in your life because you're dead. You're completely separated from Jesus. You have he quickened who were dead. You say, preacher, that's not a pretty picture. Well, let me tell you, until you see that picture, you'll probably never get saved. Because people who think they can bring Jesus something when they're dead, blind, ignorant, hopeless, and without any hope in this world are foolish individuals. But thank God when you get born again, I like that phrase, born again. Say it with me. Ready? Born again. Say it like you mean it. Ready? Born again. When you get this second birth, not some religious experience, but when you have a personal encounter with the God of the Bible, you are no longer looking for it. You found him. The question is, have you been born again? But not only is he to be the first in the stop of life religiously, so that you trade religion for a relationship, but he's also to be the first in your life personally. Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Notice the order. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else is secondary. If you're seeking anything but Jesus Christ in the first place, everything else is upside down. It'll never be right side up until Jesus is numero uno. And a few of you understand exactly what I just said. Jesus told us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, it's your rational, it's your own logical response. So the question tonight is, is Jesus first in your day? 
You get out of bed and take a shower and throw your clothes on and head to the car and leave without spending any time with God, he's not first in your day. When he's first in your day, you want to meet with him first before you meet with anybody else. Some of you know the name Ron Comfort. He's preached here on a number of occasions. I remember the first time I met him, we went over to the Bahamas to do a meeting, and we stayed in the same house in the same room. And you can learn a whole lot about an evangelist that's 20-something years elder than you are by just watching him. It's an amazing thing. He always said, Jesus is first in my life, first in our home. I'd gotten up before he got up and felt pretty spiritual about the whole deal and been down to have a shower. And when I came back, he was finally getting up. And I said to him, good morning, no answer. I said a little louder, good morning, Dr. Comfort, no answer. And he dropped straight to his knees. And when he was done praying, he got up and said, good morning, Dr. Farrell. And he doesn't speak to anybody. For any reason, at any time in the process of a day until he has first met with the king of the ages. Is God first in your life? Then he goes on and he said, I press toward the mark. The word mark is an interesting term. To understand the term scope, which comes from the, the, the term in the Bible, scopus. It means to focus on something. It means that when you go out hunting, you don't just take a gun. Most of the time you take a gun that has a scope on it because you want to make sure that when you're aiming, you're not just shooting into the atmosphere, but you're shooting right at that person, right at that animal to take them down. I wonder if you have some scopes in your life. A number of years ago, I wrote down three things for our family. Number one, I wrote down, by the grace of God, we're going to preach Christ. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. So we all as a family learned how to preach Christ, and I'm grateful that all three of my children are still preaching Christ, still serving God, something they never got over. What did you teach your children as they were coming up? You say, preacher, I was not even walking with God. Then you need to go back and sit down with some of them and simply say, you had a dad in your home who was not walking with God when you were coming through, and I failed you. And I came to ask your forgiveness for failing you. You might not even have been saved when they were coming up. And you need to simply say to them, I didn't have a relationship with God. How could I teach you to have one? Say, preacher, I'm not going to do that. That's your business. But if you'd ever like to see your son or daughter come back home and bring the grandchildren, you better get right with them or you'll never be right with him. Number two, we had in our, our home a goal to praise God. Psalm 34 and verse 1, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Most of you realize I'm an evangelist, have been for 42 years. I didn't have enough sermons to stay for more than a week, so I just kept going. And I uh, would get in on Saturday morning, and we would go to our next meeting. And I'd say, all right, Ben, it's your turn first to tell us what you're praising God for. Beth, then it's your turn. Becky, then it's your turn. Mom, then it's your turn. Then it'll be my turn. And every Saturday morning, we did the same thing. Many of the days, we get up and have our devotions, and everybody would have a chance to tell what they were praising God for. How long has it been since in your family you told God, what you were praising him for, and all the children heard it. 
because you announced it. If some of you are sitting here today and you're getting under conviction, welcome to the world. Because the truth of the matter is, most of us as believers are not as consistent as we ought to be, but we could be. And number three, I wanted to please God. We put all these on a little chart. Hebrews 11:5. when Moses came to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So here's what I would like to ask you today. Are you pleasing God, praising God? Are you the kind of person that is giving God glory by preaching Christ and pleasing him? Let me ask you some questions tonight concerning your goals as a man. Does your wife know what your goals are as her husband? Some of you didn't get that, so I'm going to ask it again. Does your wife know what your goals are as a husband? If you just sit there and you went, well, you're not right with God. Because if you were right with God, everybody in the house would know about your goals. You wouldn't be afraid to tell anybody. But you know, you can't give goals until you have goals. And until you have them, there's no way you're going to communicate them. So to your people in your house, your wife, your children, those who are still around, do they know what your goals are? I wrote down for my family four goals that we had. One, we wanted to preach Christ. We wanted to tell people how to be saved by the grace of God. Two, we wanted to praise Christ. We wanted people to know how good he was to us. Three, we wanted to witness and tell people how to be saved by the grace of God. Four, we wanted to memorize scriptures so that we were walking Bibles And if we didn't have one with us, we could give the gospel because we had it memorized. All my children, by the grace of God, led somebody to Jesus Christ before they were 10 years old. Preacher, you're bragging on your children. You call it whatever you want it. But all of my children led people to Christ before they were 10 years old. Preacher, that's impossible. Oh, is it? Your children can't read until they're how old? You know why it's quiet in the room? It's called conviction. And it was no conviction. We'd all just have our Bibles up. No, but we, we don't have our Bibles up because too many of us are not leading. We're existing. So let me ask you about your reading of the Bible. Have you ever read all the way through the Bible? I don't mean most of it and skipped a bunch of it, but have you read all the way through the Bible? You say, preacher, how long would it take me? Well, if you plan to go through the Bible and get through in a year, it'll take you 15 minutes a day reading at the average speed that a man reads, and you can get all the way through the Bible in one year, 15 minutes a day. Do you memorize Scripture? I started memorizing Scripture when I was in high school. Man stood up, and he said, even morons can memorize. What's your excuse? That has a tendency to get your attention. So I went up to see that man, and I said, if morons can memorize, I think I'm a little smarter than that. Tell me how you do it. And he told me how he did it, and I began to memorize. And I'd memorized hundreds of verses before I ever got out of high school. But you have to want to do something in order to ever get it done. Do you want to memorize the Word of God? Do you want to witness? Do you want people to be saved? I remember one of the first people that I witnessed to, I gave the gospel, and 
he cut me off. In fact, he just said, I'm going to hell. I'm going to take a six-pack and a pint of whiskey, and I'm going to get stone drunk. And I didn't know what to say. First time I'd really ever witnessed anybody. I just walked off with my tail between my legs thinking to myself, you thought you were a big shot, and you just got cleaned. And if you've never been cleaned, you probably have never witnessed. Because when you start witnessing, there'll be some people that actually are smarter than you are, and they'll clean your clock. And if you're scared out of your mind to give the gospel because somebody might be smarter than you are, you'll never witness to anybody. But I remember the first guy I led to Jesus Christ, and after he got born again, he went and got a haircut, and he came back, and people said, who are you? And he said, Tom Farrell led me to Jesus Christ. You know, that's exciting. That somebody would actually have the favor to name you. What kind of books do you read? Most weeks of my life, I read a couple of books. Preacher, you read five, six, seven hundred page books? No. But I read 150 to 250 page books. And it's not near as hard if you don't have to sit down and watch something on television. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to grow or just exist? The Apostle Paul said, look, God is first in my life. I've received him. He's received me. I have spiritual goals that I'm going after. And then he closes this passage by saying, I press. It's an interesting term. It means I strive, I pursue, I have eager pursuit. I'm running to catch something. He was not existing. He was excelling. 1 Timothy 1.18, that thou mightest war a good warfare. If you're not a warrior... You're a wimp. Preacher, you ought not preach like that. You ought not live like a wimp. And if you're not living like a wimp, what I just said didn't aphase you in one ounce. But if you're living a wimp when somebody calls you one, you will be upset. Because all of a sudden you'll realize, man, I'm not getting the job done. There's too many people I back away from. There's too many opportunities I've had and I just cancel them. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15.58, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I want to tell every one of you men in this building, if you ever get saved and God uses you, you're going to have to learn to be a warrior (coughs) or God will not continue to use you. And if you find yourself witnessing to one man and the next man you can't get enough nerve to witness to, that's not that man's problem, that's your problem. What's the difference in these two men? Well, this man was really nice, so I could witness to this. And this man over here, he's just so ornery. I'm sure if I witness to him, you can be sure if you witness to him, he will probably make fun of you. And if what I just said bothers you, then you're not a real good Christian. Because real good Christians are not worried about how they're going to be treated when they give the gospel. They're just concerned that they'll have enough courage and enough guts to stand up for righteousness and tell people how to be saved if they get cussed out. And the question is tonight, 
How many people have you walked away from in your life and didn't witness to the Holy Spirit of God brought to your life and wanted you to witness to, but you didn't because you were fearful? The fear of man will bring a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The man's name was Bob Whelan. Most of you do not know Bob Whelan unless you've read some history. In the late 1960s, he was representing us as a military man, and he stepped on a landmine. If you see him and he's still living, he only has half his body. The other half was blown off. He had to step out of the United States military, but he learned how to run on his hands. You say, preacher, don't preach your me. I'm just trying to give you a simple illustration. He began to run cross country, and he ran all kinds of places, and one day he decided, I'm going to walk across America. You see, a lot of people have, but not on their hands. It took him three years, eight months, and six days. But he ended up at the front door of the White House and was welcomed there by Ronald Reagan. Because this was the only man that anybody had ever met that literally walked across the United States on his hand. You say, preacher, that's hard to believe. Well, he came to a place in his life that he wanted God to use him. And he said, if it takes walking across America for God to use me, that's what I'm going to do. He would pull over and get something to drink, and people would pull off the highway and say, who are you and what are you doing? Well, he said, my name is Bob Whelan, and I'm walking across America on my hands. So people like you will pull over and ask me, what are you doing? And I can tell them, I'm walking across America on my hands so I can tell you why, and his name is Jesus Christ. At the end of three years, eight months, and six days, he had personally led to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, 1,344 people. And all God's men said, because he wasn't going to let somebody make fun of him and keep him from crossing America. You say, preacher, that just sounds impossible. Nothing's impossible when God's in it. As far as we know, there's never been another man who's walked across America on his hands but Bob Wheeler. He still is out. He still gives messages. He still challenges people to take another step for God. Now, let me go back where I started and ask you, have you ever been saved? The word saved means delivered or rescued. Have you ever come to a time and a place in your life when you realized everybody, and I'll say it again so you can hear me say it twice in a row, everybody born on planet earth since Adam and Eve has needed to be saved. Everybody. And if you've never been born again, then you have missed the will of God for your life. And when you die, it won't be, am I going to hell? It will be how bad you will suffer in the hell you're going to. Galatians 3 and verse 22, the scriptures conclude all under sin. If you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, this man's almost done and I wish I had never come, it's pretty obvious that you've never been saved. Because when you get saved by the grace of God and somebody closes a message and gives the gospel, you want it to come out because that's what saved you. Second word is the word sentence. Would you say that word with me? Sentence. The wages, payment, result for sin is death. Death in the Bible is separation. 
This hand represents your body and this hand represents your soul. And when God made the first man, Adam, he made him the living soul. If you've always been taught you're a body with a soul, you've been taught wrong because you're actually a soul with a body. And one of these days, they're going to be separated. And at the point of separation, which could be tonight before you ever go to sleep, you'll know whether or not you played games with God. The rich man also died, was buried. In hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. He seeth Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried. He didn't laugh. And he said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me. And send Lazarus, and they may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tortured, tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember. That rich man is still in hell. Some of you didn't get what I said. He's still in hell. And he's been there since 33 A.D. You do the math. He will get out long enough to go and kneel at the nail-scarred feet of Jesus Christ that will remind him for as long as he lives in the lake of fire that if he'd knelt at those feet when he was alive, he wouldn't be kneeling at those feet when he died. He'd be representing the king of the universe. Third and final word is the word sacrifice. He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin for us. Now, if you'll put that together, it means that Jesus never knew anything about sin. I don't mean he didn't know how to spell it. I don't mean he didn't know how to do it. But he never did it, nor did he need to spell it, because he was perfect. When he died, he had not sinned. For some of you tonight, swallowing real hard, swallow twice as hard, because I'm going to say it again. He had never sinned. And he will never sin because he's perfect holiness. He died on that cross not for his sin but for ours. He was buried, raised again the third day. And tonight he's holding out two nail-scarred hands. And if you'll study your Bible, you'll find when you get to heaven, one of these things you will see is the scars in the hands of Jesus. Much better to see them tonight by faith than by sight and have nothing able to do about it. Jesus wants to save you tonight. You say, well, preacher, if I want to be saved tonight, how do I get that done? Well, if you believe you're a sinner and you're sentenced and that Jesus died in your place, then if you'll repent, the word means change your mind. Now, for some of you that have been trying to change your life, you have wasted your life. Nobody changes their life for Jesus to save them. And if somebody taught you that you get saved because of what you do for Jesus, they lied to you. No, you change your mind. Because when you change your mind and God comes in your life, he changes your life. And then he said, and believe. In other words, put all of your confidence in what Jesus did for you. If when you come to Jesus, you're saying, now, Jesus, you died for me, you were buried for me, you raised again for me. But let me remind you of some things I did for you. You're lost. You've never been saved. You're not going to heaven. And you'll never talk Jesus into it. When you come, you come empty-handed and open-hearted. And you tell Jesus that you believe you should have gone to hell, but he stood in your place took your place on the cross. You don't want your way anymore. You want his way, and you place all of your confidence in him. And when you do that, he comes into your life, takes away your sin. Your name is put in the book of life for as long 
as eternity lasts. And the Bible says, whoever is not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. You may be sitting here tonight, and at one time you were in the ministry, and you got out of the ministry, and somebody said, you ought to go hear this old-fashioned preacher preach at the Baptist church. And you say, well, I'll go, but I'm not interested. But all of a sudden you are. Because somebody that used to preach like you preached years ago actually has got your attention. Now, you can go home tonight and say no to Jesus, but there's only two things you can say to Jesus, yes or no. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, then every time that you've been in a service like this, you've said no to him. And nobody that says no to Jesus ever goes to heaven. But everybody who by faith says yes to Jesus and receives him into their heart and life, they become a child of God, but as many as received him. Don't you miss that word, him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So if out there somewhere you're seeing, if I can just do this or say this or feel this, if I can just sense this, if I could just have this, You're wasting your time because none of that will save you. And you can go to heaven, excuse me, you can go to hell with the most religious experience of anybody in this room, but the only people going to heaven are the ones who've received personally, by faith, Jesus Christ. So here's the question you have to answer tonight. Have you been born again? And if you just answered no, the good news is before you walk out of this building without joining one thing or giving one dime, you can be saved in your seat and your sins can be completely canceled. Your name can go in the book of life. You can pillow your head tonight and not toss back and forth. But you can know on the authority of the word of the living God that your name is in the book of life and you can never again have to worry about it. I'm done with this. Evangelist friend of mine called me from Colorado. He said, I got to tell you what happened in one of our services. So I was preaching the word of God over on my left-hand side. There were six teenage boys. Five of them were disinterested. One of them was interested. He said, I gave everybody an opportunity that night to receive Christ. Those five boys talked and laughed and cut up. By the way, you do anything you want in an invitation, but you have a final invitation at the great white throne by yourself and your parents and your friends and loved ones will not be with you. Get ready. The day's soon coming. My, my evangelist friend said, I said, I'm going to sing one more stanza of the invitation. And it may be tonight that some of you will go home and you'll go to hell. When he called me, he was still kind of shaking on the telephone and I could tell it. He said, we sang one more verse, and those five guys turned to leave, and the one guy stayed and wouldn't take his eyes off of me. He said, a couple of guys came back, and they shook him and said, let's go. And so he finally got up and walked out. But when he got to the lobby, he turned around and put his nose up against the glass, and my evangelist friend saw him. He said, there's still time. The other five guys made fun of him, went out to the car, He said, you do what you want to do. I'm going to get saved. 
He pushed open the glass doors and walked down the center aisle, he and some others, and trusted Christ. In just a few minutes, he was the only one of the six that was still alive. One of the men got in the car and he peeled rubber out of the parking lot. He went down the hills in Colorado and missed it a turn. And they went over the embankment and five guys in the car all died. Moments after they walked out of that service. Moments. And there was no coming back. When that young man came out of the counseling room, the pastor came to him. He said, son, I don't know how to tell you this but we think your friends are dead. He and the evangelist got in the car. The the young man got in the back seat. They drove as quickly as they could to the scene of the accident. Young man got out of the back seat, slammed the door, walked over to the side. He could look down and see the car. All five of his best friends were dead. The pastor said he lifted his eyes up to heaven and he said, Oh, Dear God, all my friends are in hell. Oh, dear God, all my friends are in hell. And if I had not just gotten saved, I'd be in hell with them. Is your name in the book of life? If it's not, this is your time and place. Let's bow our heads to pray. Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. It'll never change, but it can change us, and may it do it tonight. Jesus just walked up to you, took out the book of life, opened it, and said, find your name. Is your name there? Is your name there? If you just said, I don't know, if you just said, no, it's not, that I'm going to encourage you to pray after me this simple prayer. And I want you to understand, praying after a preacher does not save you. And if you thought it did, and that's how you think you got saved, then what you need to understand is the preacher's prayer never saved anybody. It's your prayer that goes to Jesus. I'll pray a phrase. I'll wait for you. You pray it silently from your heart to God's heart. I'll pray the second phrase, and you pray it from your heart to God's heart. And if you'll pray this and mean this, God's going to enter your life tonight. He's going to take away all of your sin. He's going to put your name in his book. And when you stand up and walk out of here for the first time in your life, you'll know for sure you're going to heaven. Here's the prayer. Will you pray it with me silently? Will you pray it with me sincerely? Here's the prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a hell-deserving sinner. Nothing I've ever done or can do will take away my sin. Tonight I repent of my sin. I put all of my faith in you alone, Jesus Christ. I now receive your gift of eternal life. I thank you that you have forgiven me, that my name is now in the book of life, Help me never to be ashamed of what you just did for me.